Hi, hello, bonjour, buongiorno. This is Out of the Clouds, a podcast at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I am your host, Anne Muletala. Today's guest is Eva Geraldine Fontanelli. Eva has many strings to her bow. She is a former fashion editor, a creative consultant, editor at large at Vanity Fair Italia. She is also a sustainability mentor and entrepreneur. I originally met Eva through a common friend in Milan, and I've gotten to know her better over the past few months as I've been supporting her in developing her startup, Gooders. Meaningful, beautiful, and sustainable. It has been a great pleasure for me to discover not just the concept, but also the brands that she sells on the platform and delve into the various practices in sustainability, a subject that interests many people, but that can feel a little bit hard to navigate, at least for me as a consumer. Eva also has a very strong meditation practice, and we get into how it's been supporting her since she was in her early 20s in New York during her beginnings in fashion. I am so happy to bring you this interview with the lovely Eva Geraldine Fontanelli. Enjoy. So Eva, first of all, thank you so much for being here and for doing this interview for Out of the Clouds. So to start, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay, Eva Geraldine and uh, what I do. I'm a former fashion editor. For I work for many magazines, Vanity Fair, Glamour, US, and I'm a fashion consultant. And now I'm uh, also an entrepreneur. I started my first business one year ago, <laughs> and it's a startup in a sustainable fashion. I'm consulting for many different brands, small and big, and also for ethical initiatives, some UN agencies, and I'm a mentor and an advisor for them as well. Sounds like you're really busy. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, my schedule usually, like my, my lifestyle, it's so, you know, crazy. And uh, so that's why I'm taking this moment of uh, <laughs> quarantine as a big opportunity to look in and inside me and uh, taking a little bit of a routine. I enjoy my life so much, so I don't complain about anything. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Yeah. I see, you know, blue skies. <laughs> And a lot of nature around me because I'm thinking, you know, about nature exploding outside my house. <laughs> it's one of my joyful thoughts. What else? I'm taking the time to reset a little bit my life at the moment, like where I've been, what I've done. I mean, how can I restart fresh? How can I improve things I didn't like? How I can do better? How can I enjoy more? That is very important. I try to make the most of the time I'm home and uh, I appreciate every single thing I do every day from cooking. And I have to say, I haven't cooked in probably the last 10 years. <laughs> really, I enjoy making the bed. I enjoy looking into my closet and clean. That's, and so that's where I am right now. <laughs> Wonderful. It sounds like you're very much in a space of mindfulness. Yeah, totally, totally. Right now I'm sitting on uh, the floor of my meditating room because I meditate every day, twice a day. And this is part of my usual routine. I never miss my meditation. It's great that you've already transitioned into this because I was going to ask you about your meditation practice. I know a little bit about it, 
So it would be really great to hear in your words how you found meditation and what type you do every day. I discovered this kind of uh, meditation, which is a Japanese Buddhist meditation when I was in my 20s, so probably 18 years ago. My approach was a curious approach. I was really looking for something. I needed to find myself. I was very rebel with my family and with everything, with society and rules. I really <laughs> needed <laughs> some guidance or maybe something, you know, to, to discover like who I am and uh, what I'm supposed to do and how. And uh, when I discovered over this meditation, it really got me from the very first time because it tells you about your responsibilities in everything. So basically, it's not, you know, the fault of anyone, but it's really about what you make with your life and you can make everything with it. Infinite possibilities, it's up to you. It's based on cause and effect. So basically, it depends on what causes you put in your life with your mind and with your actions and with your beliefs. And then you have these effects. And through meditation, you learn how to get the answer from your, of course, because it's Buddhism, it's called from your Buddhist side, but, you know, with different names, universe, God, you know, it's, but I think it's more or less it's the same thing for everyone. So basically through meditation, you get the enlightenment answer from, from inside you and, and then you can put out the right actions based on right belief. I have to say it's been probably a struggle at the very beginning because I had to reset a little bit my life, the relationship with my family and uh, habits and different things. But then right now I'm so into it because I'm probably a little bit enlightened, so it's easier. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit enlightened. That's yeah. great. It's still a long way, but yeah, I practice a mantra. In my case, it's called uh, Namyore Ngekyo, and because it's, it's based on this uh, Japanese Buddhism. And I read a lot. Part of our practice is, of course, the meditation, the study, but then it's how you relate to others how you respect every human being. It's also very practical. Like, I mean, if you're mad because you don't find a park for your car, <laughs> like there's a way, you know, to reset everything and be like, okay, I'm so grateful because I have a car and suddenly you find the parking spot. And I know it, it sounds funny, but <laughs> basically... Less, less frustration, more optimism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I love this practice because it's very practical. You don't have to, you know, go on a Monday to meditate for seven years, but you can meditate in your apartment and you can practice it every day. Even when I travel, I super, super, and it's very effective. Like since the very first day, you see effect in your daily life. The mantra, would you remind me what it means? So the mantra is and basically it says, I believe in the law of cause and effects. Let's like um, the most basic uh, translation of the mantra. Then you have, you know, entire books about this mantra, but uh, basically that's what it says. So when you say, basically it's like you try to polish 
your spirituality and you know to bring out your Buddhist part and uh, in believing in the law of cause and effect put everything in motion <laughs> sounds amazing yeah I mean I highly suggest to read, to read a few books there are some very simple ones that you can easily read to understand a little bit more you have some desires and you're like okay I want a new house I want a boyfriend I want to you know help my mom achieve you know in her life blah 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 many things and then you meditate with these desires and suddenly there's something that happens in your life and it guides you toward these desires it wow. shows a way and then I mean it's up to you if you know you take the direction and, and you follow them but almost like a spark yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and then it's also how you react to things like especially I mean it's been so useful for my career in fashion because like probably everyone has seen the you know the devil's wears Prada that's the beginning yeah. of how <laughs> the beginning of my career career looked like uh, it wasn't easy I was in New York an intern which is less than an assistant <laughs> Without my family, not much money, blah, blah, blah. It was very, it's, it's been very hard. And I have to say, probably this practice, every time I was going back home, I was reset on the true meaning of life. This is the fashion world. I love it. I'm going to become anything I want. But the important things in life are others. So I couldn't be hungry to people because I was very compassionate. And I think this is so rare for a girl in her 20s, but this is probably something that really helped me for my career. And probably without this practice, I would have gave up because at some point it was it became very hard. Through this practice, I was very encouraged every day to follow my dreams to the end. <laughs> so that's perfect as a transition because I was going to start by asking simply, how did you get into fashion? <laughs> When I was uh, studying university here in Milan, I've always, you know, been attracted by fashion. My family didn't want me to study fashion because they thought at the time, it was the early 2000, so 2001, they were like, oh no, you have to, to study. I don't know, my mom want, wanted me to go to Sorbonne in Paris. Of course, a French mom. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and my grandmother, she wanted me to go to Bocconi to study economics and I didn't like any of that. And so I found a compromise that was communication. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> In the meanwhile, I was making my own jewelry. Like I started a little uh, jewelry brand and I was selling jewelry items in my university. So basically when we were studying at the library, I was opening, rolling up my, you know, my little thing with the, with the jewelry and selling it. No way. <laughs> and that's how I was making, you know, some pocket money. Did you have a brand name? Yeah, I have a Geraldine. It's still registered. If I want to make a collection, I still have the name. So That's fantastic. Oh, I, I, at some point, I did things properly because I started to work with in, uh, with Japan. 
uh, I was selling in Tokyo. <laughs> no way. Oh my God. I was really having fun. But a friend of mine went to a very popular store, a very trendy store at the time in Milan, in the center called Purple. And she was noticed with my jewelry. And they were like, who was making this jewelry? And so she introduced me to the store. And uh, the store had a lot of Japanese clients at the moment. And some Japanese wanted to take the jewelry to sell huh. in uh, Japan. And <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, probably I made uh, my little bit of money to start to go to New York. <laughs> Ab, so can I ask you what or how did you go to New York then? First, I lived in Peru for one year because when wow. I was to go to New York on the 13th of September 2001, oh. yeah, I really didn't want to stay in Milan. Like I tried to change my ticket and um, it's a long story, but I ended up in Peru in Lima. <laughs> <laughs> That's a story for another time. I'd love yeah, to hear exactly. it. <laughs> yeah, so I lived there for one year. I learned Spanish. I, you know, studied the culture a little bit. And then I came back to Milan, I finished my exams, and then finally I made it to New York. So basically I started in New York with the English classes, and then I see the opportunities. I'm like, here I am. <laughs> Ta-da! Literally walking the streets and uh, I didn't have many connections at the time. I had a few friends, but I was introduced to, you know, the society or something like that. I really started at some point through my jewelry again. An editor from LUS wanted me to join her on the set of the shooting of the cover and uh, on Lafayette Street and Gilles Ben-Simon was shooting. I still remember. Oh my and, God. Yeah. <laughs> so I brought my my jewelry and then uh, I, I was like, oh my God, that's what I want to do. Because at the time we didn't have social media, we didn't have Instagram, we didn't have Facebook. It's, I mean, it, <laughs> I remember those times. <laughs> I feel like a dinosaur. <laughs> but when I started, really, in, I was probably 21, 22, and um, yeah, no social media. So basically, I loved fashion, but I, I had no idea what what was going on behind the scene and from the stylist wasn't really job title that you applied for I had no idea about these styling things but when I assisted during the set I'm like oh, that's what I want to do finally <laughs> I inspiration and then everyone was like oh my god you want to be a stylist forget it no way if you don't know anyone no, no, no. oh my god no 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 that's impossible blah, blah, blah. I'm like what? <laughs> <laughs> so I started phone calls and emails and literally for probably three months, I've been torturing everyone in magazines. <laughs> <laughs> That's fact, good. I really didn't give up. I was convinced this is what I want to do. Let's see. Finally, they took me as an, an, as an intern at LUS. There I started because I have to say America as a system is very rewarding. So they don't care um, how old are you, where are you from, blah, blah, blah. It's just you're good you go. So I was good. <laughs> awesome. I worked probably 24-7 and funny enough, my learning Spanish in Peru really helped me a lot. I was the only intern who could speak Spanish and talk directly to the couriers, delivery people, maintenance. And so... <laughs> wow. I mean, if you, if you could see my face right now, this goes to show... <laughs> 
That's incredible. Yeah. So anyway, then uh, my career started. I got a job at Glamour US, was junior editor, and I was in charge of pulling, you know, the outfit for under $150, which is quite important. Oh, cool. (laughs) Because, of course, I was always wearing vintage or cheap brands because I couldn't afford the big brands. Sure, because you were were an unpaid intern. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, the editor at the time was like, what are you wearing? Where is it from? I'm like, "Um, Old Navy Gap. (laughs) She's like, oh my God, you're so good in putting uh, together cheap stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway. That's a skill set yeah yeah but like it, I was saying I was good but at the beginning like I was good in uh, you know different ways probably that someone imagine a uh, fashion <laughs> <laughs> anyway especially at Glamour US then at some point I was assisting a senior editor for celebrities and I this was super, super fun. I was traveling all the time to LA and uh, I've been on set with amazing celebrities like Tali Portman and many others. And so that was a part of my job I really, really enjoyed. Awesome. Was there a moment that you feel that you could qualify as your big break in fashion? When I came back to Italy, probably I became a little bit more famous in the, in the business. Probably my cover stories for the Italianelle, that was a big break. That's awesome. Especially because then I started also working for the international L, which means that you produce a cover story, but then it's published on all the L's, the L magazine. So sometimes it's more than 30 issues. And uh, so it's been published. So probably those are the most popular or important works I did in magazines. And probably one of the most important was with uh, Giselle Bunchen. Yeah, I would imagine that's huge. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It was fun because she was basically talking on the phone with the Converse shoes. <laughs> awesome. I can feel your sense of humor in there. Yeah, exactly. So basically, yeah, I found my way because I had a very particular sense of style and humor mixed together. I try to stick to it most of the time. So I made of my styling something that was very recognizable. Can you say Yes, that? absolutely. Yeah, it was very hard because of course, sometimes they were asking me, oh, we want it more minimal or we want it more feminine or we want it more ladylike. But I was always trying to have the flavor is to have a story. And so sometimes I had bad response about it. But then, you know, I had the, the capacity to stay true to myself and to my taste and then it was you know Eva Geraldine style and it was anymore some kind of uh, styling I was called for, for things that I was good at so style with a sense of humor a lot of reportage I've been traveling so much for fashion stories like I've been traveling really all over the world in the states a lot in Africa I think I heard you say I can't remember if it's one of the interviews I read of you online or whether you've told me this, but I think you mentioned that you became more interested in sustainability as you were styling for Elle and and other magazines. Is that correct? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, I was really at the top of my career. So basically I was styling cover stories with celebrities. So I was like, you know, because I've been always trying to achieve more and more and more and more. So at some point I was like, oh my God, and now what I'm going to do? Like, <laughs> please, you know, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Oops. I had probably pretty dark days because I was really questioning myself. I wasn't satisfied anymore. I mean, not 100% satisfied as I was before with what I was doing. And so I started questioning myself, what I'm bringing to the world? What is my mission in life? <laughs> <laughs> I was already in my 30s, so I was really, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to, to do as a grown-up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, I love fashion. I cannot live without it, so I need to find a way to find my purpose in fashion. And that's how, you know, the whole ethical, sustainable fashion came uh, in my life. Basically, I was looking for something and this something came to me. So I, you know, opportunities were popping up around me to work with sustainable initiative and uh, ethical brands. Probably one of the first one has been mentoring for the United Nations programs in fashion and also consulting for ethical fashion initiative. Could you maybe do me the favor to explain what sort of work do you do in terms of mentoring? So there's two different programs. Yeah, the first one I work for, it's what's called Unido, and they were doing programs to sustain brands around the world that they're doing social, sustainable fashion, uh, mostly. I was working for them as a mentor, which means they were selecting the brand, giving them different ways to sustain themselves, sometimes lost money, sometimes was help in terms of manufacturing and on top of it I was a mentor in the sense that I was trying to to help them to make more um, probably beautiful collection with their brand and more appealing also brand <laughs> sure. like, like I was working on the brand image and collection and uh, you know everything around I remember one of the most successful and happy stories I mentor is a Jordanian brand called the Orange tribe. They have a small collection of t-shirts and bags. It's a very simple collection, but basically they help refugees at the border with Syria and they try to organize art workshop for the kids in the refugee camp. So they take the design, the drawing from the kids and they put them on t-shirts and bags and, you know, all sorts of different things that they can use as a merchandising product to sell. The concept was wow. amazing, but you would never wear one of those t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so every time, because we were, I was mentoring them through video calls, I couldn't go to Jordania, but you know, every time, you know, I wanted to cry and I had goosebumps because the story was so um, moving but I had to be very you know strong and firm and honest what I thought about you know the aesthetic of the brand so and the person is a young very clever man that started this brand was really listening so together we built a second collection and it was a success so they sold in different stores in Jordania and then uh, Lebanon as well in different countries wow. <laughs> so moving that's incredible yeah, yeah, yeah so I discover how with all my know-how about fashion and aesthetic and how you can put things together and product I could you know really help small brands 
thrive, you know, especially brands that try to help with other causes. In this case, was the refugees. And, wow. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's so nice. <laughs> this is such a beautiful job. So tell me about the other UN program, which I think you still work with, correct? Yes. Then I, I was called by Ethical Fashion Initiative, founded by Simone Cipriani. So they have different projects in Kenya, in Burkina Faso, in Mali, in Afghanistan. They have also a very beautiful website if you want to visit. Basically, what I've been doing with them, it's the same kind of consultancy, but I've been on site. So I was really able to work with the artisans. Of course, it's much better because you're there and you see like the possibilities of what you can do and you talk to people. We did one in Mali with the Tuaregs, we did one in Burkina Faso with the, the fabrics they make there. Now we are trying to do one uh, in Afghanistan. I try to make their product more appealing for um, a Western market, let's call it this way. So they can, you know, sell not only to brands that, you know, because they work with big brands, of course, they place orders. But the problem is that when they don't place orders, they have to find a way to be independent. And the only way is to, to sell, uh, mm. to see, and uh, that's what I'm trying to help them. That's wonderful. They're trying to develop a project, but... Me, when I work with them, it's like, oh, it's snowed. Oh, now we have the flow. And, and uh, you know, there's yeah. a, you know, terrorist attacks. And <laughs> it's like, that's why also another way really to be sustainable is probably, you know, to be more slow and to adapt to the different situation. Of course. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit unpredictable what I the different the timing is a bit unpredictable but it's I mean it's so rewarding you know every time you do something with them you you really help the community you help the women in the community you are, it's really amazing <laughs> and on the other side we make beautiful products if you buy from them it's really not charity you're really buying beautiful work oh that's gorgeous so Mm-hmm. What is hashtag good is the new cool? So that was the, you know. I like it. I think it's very catchy. <laughs> what do you mean by it? What is the new cool? It was probably one of my first slogan when I started working in sustainable fashion because the first thing I noticed that was like being good wasn't considered something cool. So like being good is something related to charity, something related to guilty shopping, you know? And I was like, oh my God, it's not like that. We have to make it cool. So people will, will be more attracted to the sustainable brands, to the sustainable industry. So I know it sounds very superficial because you have a lot of serious issues around it. But at the same time, if you don't sell it, if you don't, you know, make people want to be in this, you know, world, you're, you're not going to be profitable. So uh, even if I sounded, you know, I've been speaking at different Zoom made for UN as well. And, you know, I sounded like, you know, the fashion girl. Oh, you have to make it cool. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I mean, I wish I'd been in the room, honestly. (laughs) So for me, like good is the new cool. I use it as an hashtag with the, you know, I started working with ethical initiatives because I think that was probably the biggest contribute I could bring to this uh, movement. I really wanted to make it cool. So I was a little bit considered as an, you know, influencer or trendsetter or whatever you want to call, but in the fashion industry, people at the time were looking at what I was wearing, where I was going, like what I was doing in general. I was like, okay, 
okay, I'm going to take this opportunity to make this goodness look cool, to make volunteering look cool, to make buying into sustainable brands look cool. And still, it's still what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I think it's being something that really works to make it fun, to show the empowerment around this project and not only, you know, the set part. I have, when you sell something that is sustainable, you really impact someone's lives. And I really want to show how these lives are impacted and they're all beautiful and stories of empowerment. Mm. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's interesting to consider where our conversation started because from New York, where you're a fashion editor pulling the looks for the under $150 yeah. <laughs> into the international you covers. Know that. That's a good one. Oh, but listen, I was probably reading the equivalent because I couldn't afford anything when I was in my 20s. So, but I can see the red thread of how all of these things got you to gooders. Would you mind just telling everyone listening a little bit about your new business and your new life as a sustainable entrepreneur? I'm an yes. entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> the glamour that is entrepreneurial life. Exactly. Okay, Gooders came as an idea, you know, after consulting for a couple of years in the sustainable industries, because I noticed that all those little brands and projects that were popping everywhere didn't have a way to show themselves to a bigger market and didn't have any tool for communication and marketing. So Gooders came, you know, <laughs> as an idea really to give these brands another opportunity because I was making them look cool, a nice product, a nice brand image, but then what? They didn't have <laughs> the money to afford Fashion Week in Paris or things like that. Gooder started as a way to put together all those uh, brands, initiatives, collaboration. I mean, anything that was about social sustainable and eco-sustainable fashion and beauty and homework. So I started the platform and I was like, you know, there is a missing part. How can I make it profitable? Because I don't want to be a charity. I really want to, you know, help this brand sell. So I came with the idea idea to open uh, temporary stores in luxury hotels starting in Europe and that idea really really works so basically it, the slogan of Gooders is uh, if you do good you look good if you do something good and buying into Gooders brands and products you do something good because every brand and every item has a story behind it that is incredible women empowerment eco-sustainability taking you know plastic from the oceans and uh, remodeling in, in sunglasses and uh, helping Brazilian kids going to school. And, you know, there is a list that it's um, incredible. So you do good and somehow you have a beautiful product and you look good as well. Like you probably have a beautiful dress, beautiful sunglasses, a beautiful bag, a beautiful face mask. This is a little bit about it. And I feel like many of our customers, every time they buy something, when they tell the story about what they're wearing, this incredible light that Gooders give you. So. That's amazing. <laughs> Which is really, I mean, it's really true. And, uh, and I've had customers telling me exactly that. Like, you know, I was telling my friend about this dress that was made, you know, in uh, Tunisia, but women uh, that were victims of violence and now they have a new life thanks to me that I'm buying this dress. <laughs> <laughs> That's That's so yeah, it's very, very sweet, but it's really something that... Um, 
became, you know, a little bit like a trend because people are really proud to do good. But sometimes they think it's something really, you know, far from their lifestyle. They like, oh my God, I have to travel to South Africa and, you know, starve for two weeks in a camp to volunteer if I want to do good. No, I mean, you just have to make the right choices and, and be informed and have fun at the same time. Scooters, it's really about, you know, cool and fun and colorful. There's nothing said about sustainability we do. And also because we are selling through pop-ups and also online. You know, the pop-ups really works because people are on vacation. They have time to listen. They have time, you know, to touch and to ask. Buddha says a lot about the, the storytelling. Being an entrepreneur, it's not... You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's not an easy thing. Like sometimes I feel like I'm back in New York, like an <laughs> Like, oh my God, I'm like 20 years back. <laughs> Why I did that? <laughs> That's hilarious. I feel sometimes I do, the, you know, I go couriers and bring the boxes myself and prices and everything. Of course, it's a startup. We have a small team, but... So can I ask you a favor? Is yeah. there one or two brands whose story you feel like you really want to talk about? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's really hard because you have lots of stories. <laughs> and every time I do any research on any of the brands that you carry, I fall a little bit more in love. <laughs> so we have one brand that probably puts together all our pillars like meaningful, beautiful and sustainable and it's called Parafina. They make sunglasses out of recycled plastic or recycled cork, recycled uh, different materials. So they do eco-sustainability because they clean the environment and they recycle and upcycle. They make a beautiful product. We are doing a collaboration with Hooters on sunglasses, special style for us. So the product is beautiful. I didn't have to say anything like it was already perfect and then uh, they also devolve a percentage of the profit to a program in Brazil that helps kids going to school Wow. It's called Yevale a la Cola. So basically when you buy the sunglasses, you have a little pencil in the box with seeds on the top of the pencil that you can plant. And basically this is like the little item that represents their NGO for, uh, you know, helping kids going to school in Brazil. The seeds of learning. So I'm very proud of this brand because it's a small brand. They're doing very well and they're filling all the boxes for gooders. Eco-sustainable, they're socially sustainable, it's a beautiful brand. And I mean, they also have a nice business model, so they're probably profitable as well. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> But so I need to ask though, isn't it? really hard to be sustainable in day-to-day life, especially when you're, you work in fashion? It's super, super hard. Sometimes you're really like, oh my God, that's so hard. I want to give up, you know, and whatever. <laughs> No, no, it's true. But that's why I highly, you know, recommend not to be too fanatic about being sustainable. And there is a phrase, I don't remember who said that, but like, it's better to have one million people who are doing sustainability, like how they can, not perfectly, than to have 1000 people who are doing it perfectly, you know, so you have to be 100% sustainable. It's basically impossible nowadays, unless, you know, you go into the wild and uh, (laughs) you don't have 
unless you're off the grid somewhere. Exactly. So I'm not 100% sustainable myself, but I try, you know, to improve my sustainability habits and rules. And also because right now also brands are helping you to be more sustainable. I think we have to be all a little bit more sustainable. So we will have more, more way to be. It's, um, how do you say, give and take. <laughs> yeah, it's a give and take. Even take, win-win game, call it, call it whatever you want. But like, for example, don't use plastic bottles. But, you know, sometimes there are no ways to refill your, your water bottles. And, yeah, I know. But probably the more people are going to ask for it, probably we're going to have more fountains, airports or parks to refill our water bottle and not consume plastic. That's a big one for me, as you know, because we've talked about it. We are making uh, water bottles carry on bags for uh, the travelers for gooders so that's gonna be very helpful (laughs) for me of course i mean we try to solve some little problems here and there and we have like rules for sustainability is like as sustainable as possible as soon as possible so it's also Mm. the way how we evaluate if a business is good (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for us or not i mean when you have the possibility to choose for something good, like, and you do it and you make a little effort in terms of money and time, uh, I mean, for me, you're already a gooders, you know? It, you don't have to be, you know, 100% sustainable. Sometimes, I mean, you are eco-sustainable, but less socially sustainable. You can improve that, but like trying to improve yourself and to improve your um, habits and to buy more conscious, it's already something. I mean, if everyone was was trying to improve his lifestyle, it's at least a little bit like turning off the lights when you don't need them. I mean, we would save so much. Oh my God. I think about that so often, by the way. It's it's strange you would mention. I try to be very conscious of my electricity consumption. Me too, but like probably six years ago, I wasn't even thinking about it. I wasn't reading the labels of the clothes I was buying. So right now I try to avoid acrylic, the really bad materials. But for example, sometimes I find something that is very expensive, that is not probably 100% made of sustainable materials. But at the same time, I think, okay, this is so beautiful, so expensive. I'm gonna gonna keep it for my whole life and, and pass it to you know to my kids or you know whoever. So this is something that is sustainable as well. To try to buy less and probably more of quality, and uh, that is gonna last more. It's really- oh, so it's kind of like beautiful is sustainable. <laughs> We're very beautiful. Would be sustainable because technically quality, you're going to get rid of it. Quality and beautiful is sustainable. And usually it becomes also with being a little bit more expensive, of course, because if you have quality, it's more expensive. Also the aesthetic. Uh, but of course, if you think that something is really like precious and unique and I mean, you're going to love it forever. Maybe you can, you're going to pass it to, to a friend at some point because this is, this is sustainable. Yeah, yeah of course. Sure. So in terms of support and resources available for people who are interested in learning more, we can add them into the show notes. Is there any special resource, book, website that you found particularly useful? UN programs are very, you know, serious. It's about the SDG goals and, you know, reduce poverty. So I don't really suggest unless, you know, you want to get very informed to, to read into the, you know, UN. Fair enough. 
<laughs> but at the same time, there are a lot of influencers and journalists and uh, a lot of people I admire that are starting their own podcasts. And of course, Instagram and social media, you know, the new media. So probably through their social media, they're, you know, uh, passing by a very nice and uh, fun message. So uh, absolutely, I can make a list, you know, you have uh, people that are doing sustainability also with food that uh, they teach how to buy with, you know, less packaging, which is a big problem. And people that show you how to buy, you know, into sustainable beauty brands also because it's better for your skin. Little things, there's like, for example, Bandana Tewari, who's a journalist, she was um, of Vogue India. Now she writes for Business of Fashion. I think she has a very light and engaging way to write about sustainability. So Yeah, I love Bandana. Also very fun and very clever. I really like her tone of voice because it's um, very entertaining and, and so then you really get to, you know, to know more about how to be sustainable. You have a few of them. In, there is another editor from Vogue Australia who's, uh, who's writing guides about how to shop more sustainable, how to read the labels and things like that. People that travel <laughs> more uh, sustainable and many of them. It's still a little niche, but it's growing. I was going to ask you after this, you know, how does this kind of uh, positive activism or enthusiasm rather towards sustainability survives with traveling in planes and cars, but obviously right now <laughs> it is not much of a problem. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts as how you think or you think we should emerge from this sort of global quarantine in terms of, I should speak for myself first, I've traveled a lot like you for my career and I was very privileged to do so. I was going from Brazil to New York to Tokyo. And I did think recently uh, over the last sort of couple of years that I wanted to reduce my travel as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And still I find myself on planes most weeks, even though I have less hours of work, let's say. So it was a better pace of life, but still a lot of travel. And now I'm really deeply rethinking this I had made some decisions about how my life to unfold going forward, which I'd made months ago. However, this said, I was booked on a flight on the 2nd of May to go to Los Angeles for a Vipassana retreat and to see one of my best friends who lives out there. And now I think I'm going to have to Zoom my Vipassana retreat and swear off my mobile and that Insight LA is going to have to change their system. So how would you wish for us to emerge out of this crisis in a way that's going to make us rethink <laughs> our world. So I'm like very optimistic about, you know, these, the opportunities of this lockdown. It's really showing us how we can work and, uh, and do things without jumping on a plane every day. So basically, I think the, these uh, video calls and all the tools we are using these days to keep working, probably we, we could keep doing it after the, the class. Yes. Probably we are learning a new way of doing things. Also, you know, to slow down things as well. We are not going to 
stop traveling. That's not possible. At this, at the same as we are not going to stop buying into fashion because that's not possible as well. A lot of people are working in the travel business. A lot of, of course. people are working in the fashion business. So you have to be conscious of that as well. You know, sometimes sustainable, very radical, sustainable people are like, oh, you have to buy vintage and wear your stuff forever until you die. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yay. <laughs> I'm like, of course, and all the poor people who are working in the fashion business. What <laughs> I mean, what's going to happen to them? So, I mean, you have to be um, conscious as well about it. So, in terms of traveling, if you, for example, now when I travel in Italy, I try to travel by train as much as possible, and even when I have to go to. France, when I have the possibility to travel with the train, I try to choose it. And I know that they're improving even, you know, overnight trains that for Europe, where we have short distance, it's really nice. Mm -hmm. And then I think we would probably uh, restrict all our uh, long distance travels for something that is really meaningful. And mm -hmm. maybe we would try to stay there as much as possible to do more things. Like, for example, if you travel to LA, you're gonna see your friends do your yoga school and maybe do a little trip for you know a retreat blah 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 and stay there one month probably so you don't have to be back and forth all the time sure that makes sense I think it's really gonna be a different approach again with and even you know probably the travel companies are going to improve their um, impact on the environment and yeah I definitely hope so they're yeah. gonna have to re reinvent travel in some ways I think Yeah, now I use an electric little car in Milan. I use my bicycle. I, I'm really aware and uh, where I can and it doesn't, you know, restrain what I have to do in my, you know, in my daily routine. I take like the, the better option all the time. So I think it's probably what is going to happen for sure. There has been already a shift in, you know, human consciousness, like people were starting, you know, to feel there was something wrong yeah. in a way. Of consumption? Consumption, consumption of everything, even, you know, consumption of, uh, you know, relationships, everything, you know. People in general, I feel, are not happy. So they're starting to look to be a little bit more happy in some way. and. For sure, one of these way all the psychologists tell you that if you do good somehow to yourself or to others, it's I mean it's the best way and uh, the fastest way to to be fulfilled in your life. I think uh, during like this quarantine, <laughs> yeah, I published on a post. It made I mean I was laughing by myself, but I felt like we are all put in our rooms by you know nature. <laughs> what we have done so far so like yeah. you know when you're a kid think about what you have done <laughs> <laughs> oh I love that I can I can see that with the pointing the finger yeah exactly so I feel like we are all grounded and uh, we have to you know make the most of uh, out of this time to I don't see we are going to restart everything like as before. I'm, I'm sure we will uh, think more of what is our impact and how we can make our life better. For sure. I am nodding my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now to move on to something ever so slightly different, you belong to a couple of countries, you're half French, half Italian. You grew up in Tuscany, am I correct? 
Yes. And obviously, we all know that Italy's been on the front lines of this quarantine and this outbreak. So I wanted to know if there was an ode to Italy you wanted to give us or a piece of advice. Yeah, I'm like, typical. Like my grandmother used to say, non tutto il male viene per nuocere, which is like probably an Italian proverb that say not all the bad things come to damage you, which means... Oh, good. Yeah, which means like we have uh, to see what is good in this uh, bad situation, of course. Very appropriate. <laughs> I have to say that Italians are very proactive and creative. It's probably one of the most creative people on the planet, I think. So they have surprisingly an amazing way, you know, to react to things and to reinvent themselves. I'm not saying we are perfect. We have other... I understand. (laughs) You weren't saying it. I am not judgmental. That's fine. No, no, no. But at the same time, yeah, it's probably uh, even in the past, we are really able to to see the opportunities and uh, good aspect of this unfortunate situation. I'm proud. I think that's a great (laughs) saying. When we were put in quarantine, we started concerts on the balconies and I think that really, you know, represent what is the Italian spirit. (laughs) I know, I've watched some of these and yeah, weeped in love. So just to finish off then, I wanted to ask, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what is your favorite word? Thank you, I said, which is grazie in Italian, merci in uh, in French. So basically one of my secrets because I'm always being thankful and I try to be thankful all the time. Something really that keeps me in uh, peace. So I'm I'm really grateful and thankful all the time. So it's probably one of the words I say mostly like, Grazie, 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 like to people in the street, to the vendors, to friends, to, you know, a a word that I really, really love. Fantastic. What are you not very good at? (laughs) Laundry. (laughs) Oh, I did not see that one coming. Okay. I'm actually very bad. And uh, uh, I said, uh, unless you love uh, tie and dye and uh, colorful mix of... Oh uh, like yeah, unless you like the psychedelic style, it's better uh, if I avoid the laundry. <laughs> That's really good to know. <laughs> um, what or who do you want to be when you grow up? I have a lot of people I look at uh, admiration, but people to look at me in the same way. So I probably want to be an example in my own field. So I really find want to find a way to inspire people. So probably with what I'm doing now, Gooders, I really want to be an example for many other initiatives or or also for people that are looking for inspiration. <laughs> I feel very inspired by what you do. So I'm, I'm certain that others are going to find it as well. And just to close... Tell me, what brings you happiness? I have a, a little uh, gratitude journal where... Sometimes I force myself to write at least 
10 things I'm grateful for every day. So sometimes I come up with the most, you know, uh, sometimes superficial things like my coffee or my, probably these days I'm really, I'm really thankful, you know, uh, for my body and like, you know, really. Your health. My health, exactly. And because I have time, I look in the mirror. I know as as women, sometimes we can find, you know. uh, (laughs) Yeah, you noticed. You know, something wrong, but I'm really glad, you know, for my messy, super messy long hair that I cannot cut during these days. I'm already happy for my skin and my body. And uh, I'm really trying, uh, you know, to love me. (laughs) I'm like, "Mm." oh my God, you know, I love this. <laughs> like kissing my heart. Do you know who I heard does that every night? Who? <laughs> Diane von Fustenberg. Oh, really? Yeah, and I heard it several times because my old creative boss, Christian Louboutin, yeah. several times, I can't remember what the questions were, but several times he was asked about what's really important in life, and he said it's really important to love yourself. And then he, wow. and he, t- he, told me and told the journalist <laughs> that it's Diane who taught him really? <laughs> that, and that she apparently every night mwah, 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 kisses herself and says, I love you. And yeah. I, I learned to love myself. I didn't love myself when I was younger. So probably, yeah, I've read a lot of books and, you know, it's all around gratitude. And I really started to love, you know, every single part of myself. So probably during these days, I really like being in my skin and having time to look at the mirror and you know to uh, <laughs> yeah oil on my skin and uh, take care of me it's something I really appreciate yeah that's wonderful so thank you so much Eva for your time it was absolutely wonderful to talk to you and obviously I know you already but every time we talk I learn something new and I get more inspired. So <laughs> I feel it was a very rewarding conversation for me, the interviewer. Can I ask you, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram. It's uh, Eva Geraldine. I usually try to reply to all DMs. Maybe not. That is very charming of you. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I really, really try. And also because people really ask me engaging questions and they really want to know. Sometimes I really take, you know, an afternoon uh, free to reply to everything. So please DM me for, for anything. You can find more information of what we talk about on uh, Gooders with the three O's.com or on the Instagram, which is Gooders. That's wonderful. I will put the links in the show notes as well. Perfect. Eva, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that you have a wonderful night. (laughs) And uh, we'll speak again very soon. Yes. (laughs) Ciao. Thanks so much. Thank you again for listening. I hope that you have enjoyed my conversation with Eva Geraldine. You can find her, as she said, on Instagram at Eva Geraldine or online at Gooders, that's G-O-O-O-D-E-R-S dot com. Of course, all details will be in the show notes, including Eva's suggestions for reading on Buddhism and on sustainability. If you have enjoyed the show, feel free to rate and review this podcast and subscribe. Until next time, thank you again for listening. Be well, wash your hands, social distance and all that good stuff.